And you can, you, you, as we get started this morning, I want you to th- know right off the bat, you can't be humble about this, all right? I'm going to ask a question, and I want an honest uh, reaction. You've got to be truthful. Um, if you're watching online, you've you got to be truthful about this as well. How many of you today would say that you're probably smarter than the average person? Go ahead, show hands. Go ahead. If you don't put your hands up, some of you, I'm going to call you out because I know you think it anyway. So, go ahead. Put, if, if you're watching online, you just type in the chat, I think I'm smarter than the average person. You can put the little smiley face emoji in there if that makes you feel better about it. Um, but go ahead. I mean, let's see your hands again. How many of you think you're smarter than the average person? All right. A few honest people in here. And I get, you might not say it because you're in church and it's not the thing that you're supposed to say. But most of you think it. Most of you think that, hey, I'm a better driver than most people, right? How many of you think that you're a better driver? I hate, I, I may not be a better driver than most people, but I'm a better driver than my wife. And that's, I know that. Most of you probably think you're, you're not as sinful as most other people. You're less sinful. When it, when it comes to issues, most of you think that you're more right than most people. And I can't speak for all of you, but I can speak for me. And I know that I'm way above average. And I'm not bragging because, I mean, just hear me on this. It's not easy being me. I mean, it's not, e- it's not easy being right all of the time. It's difficult. And, and I'm just telling you, we live in a world where there's so many issues and there's just so many dumb people, right? And, and so, like, you, you all know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, let's just be honest. And, and so if you want to know what to believe about anything, I'm here to tell you. I, I've got all the answers for you. I can tell you what to believe about theology. I can tell you what to believe about the end times, about, um, about women in ministry. You want the answers, I've got the answers for you. Now, I hope you all realize I'm being a little bit sarcastic. Some of you are like, I don't know if he's really this arrogant. <laughs> yeah, I heard that. <laughs> I can tell you what sports team to root for. Go Cards. Third loudest cheer at the ball game last night was when they announced the Georgia-Kentucky score. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that got this series is called No Offense. Well, I, that might have been the most offensive thing I've said in three weeks. But hey, all right. Enough of the sarcasm. Today we are in part three of our series, and and the title of this message is "You're Not As Right As You Think You Are." And I want to give you. We're going to look at a couple different passages of scripture, but I want to give you the context uh, of a verse that we're going to start with today. It's in Luke chapter 18, and we're going to start at verse 9, but I just want to give you the, the context just so that you can understand that, that Jesus was surrounded by, by some people that, well, they just thought they were right about everything. I mean, they thought that they knew everything, that they were right about everything, that they were holier than everybody else. Their, their goal above everything else was to be right. I mean, they, they were the people that, hey, we know the way, we're, we're, we behave the right way, we root for the right teams, we vote the right way, we, we say the right things, we post the right things, we are right about everything. They thought, that's who they thought they were, they thought they were better and holier than everybody. And in verse 9 of chapter 18, Jesus tells this parable. Scripture says, to, to some who were confident of their own righteousness, I, I like that, this, that's his, Luke's nice way of saying, to those who were full of it, full of themselves, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. 
One, a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. And if you don't know about Pharisees, Pharisees were, they were outwardly righteous. They, they would dress the part. They, they would pray loud prayers in public. They would follow 613 rules of the Old Testament. As Christians, we have ten. Really, we have two. Love Jesus and love your neighbor. Like That's, that's basically it, right? Jesus narrowed ten commandments to two. The, the Pharisees, they like, uh, two, that's too easy. Ten, that's too easy. we got to follow all 613 laws. That, that, that was them. They were outwardly righteous. But then it says the tax collector. And the tax collector, he was outwardly despised because of his outward sinfulness. He, he, was, he was the one guy who, who people hated. I mean, think about this. We, nobody likes the IRS, do we? Like, nobody. Nobody ever has anything good to say about the IRS. And this was this guy. And, that's, and how we feel about the IRS is how everybody felt about this guy. There was nothing good about him. Nothing redeeming, at least outwardly anyway. And so you've got one guy who's visibly righteous. And you've got another guy who is visibly unrighteous. And scripture says that in verse 11, the Pharisee, the righteous one, says, He stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people. The robbers and the evildoers and the adulterers or even like this tax collector. Then he goes on to give a spiritual resume to, to tell how he's not like all of these people. He says, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. And verse 13 says, it says, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven and he beat his breast and he cried out to God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, this man, the humble one, the tax collector, the, the visibly unrighteous one, Rather, Jesus says, rather than the, one, than the other went home justified before God, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who will humble themselves will be exalted. What's interesting to me about, about this parable, about this passage of Scripture, is that the Pharisee, he saw himself as right. And, and, and he saw the tax collector as wrong. He was right, the other guy was wrong, there was, there was no... There was no uh, distinction in, in the Pharisee's mind about who was right and who was wrong. There was no question. In fact, in anybody that would have been seeing this scene, a Pharisee and a tax collector in the same room together, there would have been no argument in their minds either about who was right and who was wrong. But for Jesus, it wasn't just about right and wrong. Don't get me, don't get me wrong. Jesus was concerned about right and wrong. But he wasn't only concerned about right and wrong. He was also concerned about pride and humility. Because proud people don't love very well. It's difficult for proud people to love well. We, we've been in this series now, no offense, for a couple of weeks. And, and there's just the reason we're doing this series is because there's so much tension and, and so many people that are right, who are completely convinced and, and, uh, of their righteousness and everybody else's unrighteousness. I mean, there, there's so many people who... You, I mean, you're, you think you're right about everything, right? Like, I mean, if, if you're one of those people, like, I hope that you have a little, enough self-awareness to realize that, hey, I'm not right about everything. I, I can be right about some things, but I'm not right about everything. But, but we live in a world where most people don't have that self-awareness. We live in a world where, like, just look online, read social media comments, re read the arguments that take place. Everybody is convinced about their rightness. And look, you can be sincere in your convictions about being right. But you can also be sincerely wrong. And I think that's where we find a lot of people at. 
And unfortunately, as Christians, if we're not careful, it's really easy for us to slip into our own rightness or our own spiritual pride, much like the Pharisee who said, I'm so glad I'm not like all of those people. In fact, I would say respectfully with, that with all of the good intentions, sometimes those of us who are followers of Christ, we tend to think that, that that's part of our job as Christians, is to be right. I mean, that, that's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be right. We're supposed to, to preach the truth. And, and because we preach the truth, we are right, which is partially true. But because we're right, sometimes we get offended by those who are wrong. Because we're right, we're oftentimes offended by those who are wrong. And we find ourselves being offended by, by anything that, that other people do um, that, that we think is not right. Uh, we're, we're offended by what they post, or how they vote, or what they believe, or what sports team they root for, or how they behave. And if we live offended long enough, and a, an offense starts to settle into our hearts, the, the offense simmers and it, it starts to grow. And it grows from being offended to contempt. And instead of, of being offended at what somebody does, if we're not careful, we start to hate not what they do, but who they are. We always hear that expression, hate the sin, love the sinner, right? Which is a, which is a cute little expression. But I'm going to tell you, very difficult to practice. Because what we often find ourselves doing is hating the sin and hating the sinner. Which is never a good place for a disciple of Jesus to be. But we're Christians, right? So, so we're right. We're, we're guardians of the truth. But if we're not careful, since we're guardians of the truth, we might be offended by those who do wrong. And suddenly we start to think that it's actually our job to, to assess people. Not judge people, to, to, to assess them. Almost entirely different, you see. Because I have the authority as, as a Christian to, to assess who, who people are and where people are at. You know, so if someone asks me, hey, what do you think about this guy? You know, I can say, hey, you know, he's an okay guy, but he's just way too into himself. Or if you ask me about some, someone, I say, hey, well, you know, she's pretty good at what she does, but she lets her kids run wild. I, 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 can, it's, I can assess them, right? It's, it's our job, we think, to assess them because we're right. I mean, we're right about theology. We're right about churches. I mean, think about this. With, with no real training, spiritual training, theological training, uh, with no real background in that, we can be armed with enough truth to assess churches anywhere and everywhere. We know which ones are good and which ones are bad. And because we're right, we tell everyone that that, that, that church over there, they're too shallow or they're too boring or they don't sing the right songs. That, that they, They're wrong. Our church is right you know, because we don't teach that feel-good, that, that, that feel-good soft message. We, we preach the unadulterated Word of God, the exegetical verse-by-verse, just like Jesus didn't do it. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that last part. In the King James only, too. But, but we push it off, right? We, we, we push it off of others instead of being perhaps who God called us to be. We are right. And our way of doing it is right. And anyone, anyone who doesn't do it our way has to be wrong. The Pharisee was right. And he knew it. And so he tells everybody how right he is. And he looks down on everybody else who he thinks is wrong. And sometimes, without even meaning to, we actually can do the very same thing that the Pharisee does. I don't know about you, but, but I think I've got the right approach to everything. I've got the right approach to the pandemic, to, to uh, sports teams, to, to, to politics. I've got, I've got the right answers to all of those things. 
I know how people should spend their money. I mean, you all do this too, right? We say stuff all the time like, well, if I had that kind of money, I wouldn't spend it on that. Or, you know, you tell somebody how they should dress, like, you know, they they ought to dress like this or they shouldn't dress that way. We'll tell tell some woman why she shouldn't go get that spray tan because she looks orange, right? I mean, we, we think we're right about all of those things. We tend to think that we're the best assessors, the, the, the best judges. We, we're the most right. But here's the truth. The truth is that every single one of us, we all have this in common. Whether you want to have it in common or not, we all have this in common. We are all sinful. We are all sinners. Our, our hearts, the Bible says, you want to quote the Bible, people want to quote the Bible all the time, quote, quote the Bible on this. Our hearts say, uh, the Bible says that our hearts are wicked and easily deceived. We, we live in a culture and a generation that says, just follow your heart and do whatever your heart tells you to do. I'm telling you, that's the most dangerous thing that, uh, that has ever happened for our generations. To follow your heart. Just follow your heart movement is leading to death and destruction. But just follow your hearts. Right? And as much as we might think that we're right about so much, we are often, often, very, very wrong. And even if we are right about something, maybe we are right, our approach might be wrong, which then just discounts our whole rightness anyway. I mean, what if you're right, but you're not loving? What difference does it make? What, what if, if there are Christians who are right, but they're rude? What if there are Christians that are right, but they're, they're jerks? What if all they're doing is making a point and not really actually making a difference? Jesus wasn't just concerned about right and wrong. He was also concerned about pride and humility. The approach matters so much. We have to understand that people aren't drawn to, to Christ by our moral superiority. They're not. I, I can tell you, there's never been one person that has come into this church that said, said, Adam, I'm coming to this church because you are right about everything. Because you are so right about this issue. Not one. Not one time. They've never come to this church because they said Mike Bell is right about all things. Mike Bell is right about a lot of things. But they've not come to this church because of that. People are not drawn to Christ because of our moral superiority. They're drawn to Christ because of Christ. It's the love of Christ shown through us that draws people in to Christ. Not how right we are. And here's what's fascinating about Jesus. Jesus was without sin, right? He was without sin. He was not sinful, but yet he drew sinful people into himself. He was perfect in every way. And those who were very imperfect, full of darkness, full of secrets and sinfulness, they felt drawn to Jesus. They they, they were pulled into him. Let me give you four quick examples. Jesus went to a party where where sinners flocked to him. They enjoyed his company. They, They loved being around him. Second example would be uh, of a prostitute who was so moved uh, and loved by, by the, the grace and the love and the glory of Jesus that she actually knelt down in front of Jesus and she began to worship him by pouring out a very expensive perfume and oil on, on him. Another example would be the fact that, that there was a tax collector hated and, and despised, a man who had stolen from his own people to, to give money to a, a foreign government. And Jesus went to that guy's house for dinner. There, there was a woman who, who couldn't seem to hold a relationship together. She just went from bed to bed to bed, from man to man to man. And, and Jesus spent time loving her and offering her what, what she was looking for, a living water that would fill that, that need, that fill what was empty on the inside. He was perfect and without sin. And yet he drew sinful people to him. Why do you think sinful people wanted to be around Jesus? I think the answer is because Jesus didn't make them feel wrong. He made them feel loved. 
It wasn't about just being right and wrong. It was about pride and humility. In fact, I want, I want to read to you what I consider perhaps the, the most important verse in the New Testament about as, as far as it pertains to how we should treat other people. It's from John's Gospel, John chapter 13. In fact, we, we looked at this passage a couple of weeks ago, and some of you all got really nervous when, when I read this passage. But before we get to the main part of, of this passage, I want you to embrace the context of what's going on, of what's happening when Jesus says this about how we should love one another. So start at verse 1. John chapter 13, just to get the context, Jesus, the scripture says that Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave. That the world, uh, he was going to leave the world and go back to the Father. He, in other words, he knows that time's up. I'm, I am six hours, three hours, nine hours, however many hours away. I am that many hours away from being crucified. My time on earth, it's up. And so it says, having loved his own who were in the world. And I love this part. What did he do? It says, he loved them till the end. He knew time was, time was going away. His time was up. And so it says, having loved them till the end. So how did he love them till the end? Well, he, he, they're, they're eating. They're, they're gathered for a meal. They're, they're around a table or maybe on the ground probably kneeling, having a very intimate supper. Their, their last meal together. And Jesus gets up and he shocks everybody. He does something that, that they couldn't believe that, that he would do. He takes off his outer robe, his outer garment, and he puts on a slave's apron or, or a servant's apron. And he kneels down to the disciples and he does something that just, just rattles them. He starts to wash their feet. Something that only a slave or a servant would do. And he loves them in, in the most humbling act, humbling serving act possible. They're shaken, they're stunned, they, they are not prepared for, for this moment. It, it is, it's one of those experiences that you, know, you have something happen and you're just like, I, I don't know what to do with that. I, don't, I didn't, wasn't expecting this, it just has kind of thrown them off. And then he goes back to eating. He, get, he finishes what he's doing and he sits back down by him and he says, hey, one of you is going to betray me. And Judas realizes that, oh, Jesus knows what's up. He knows I'm about to do this. He, he realizes it's him. And so Jesus just looks at Judas and says, hey, whatever it is that you have to do, go and do it quickly. And so Judas leaves the, Jesus and the other disciples and he goes off to begin betraying Jesus. This is the context. This is the setting in which he says, Jesus says what I'm about to read to you. It's his last meal with his best friends. He knows the suffering that is about to come his way, that, that, that he's about to endure. He is loving and serving them with the most sacrificial way that he can by washing all of the dirt off of their grimy, stinky, dirty, dusty feet. And then he's also being betrayed by one of his best friends. And in the middle of all of that that's happening, he says this. He says, my children, my children, the, the word in the Greek translated here as my children, it's, it's the only time Jesus used this word. It's, it's, it's the word uh, technia. It, it's a relational term. And what I like about this is that every other time Jesus speaks to the disciples, he's, he's Jesus the man. He, he's Jesus the friend. But, but here in this moment, he's Jesus God. He's God the Father in the presence of the Son. And suddenly the term is my children. He's speaking to them as God the Father would speak to his children. And his tone is different. And he says this, he says, hey, I'm only going to be with you a little longer. I'm a, in other words, I'm about to give up my life for you. And he says, you'll, you'll look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going to go, you can't come. And then he says this, 
He says, a new command I give you. And the Greek word here for, for this, this phrase, new command, it, it means fresh. It means not worn out. And it's in this context when he says it, that, you know, that he loves them to the end. I, I want you to feel the power of the words of, uh, of this context, knowing that he's about to give his life up. That he's just hours away from an agonizing, excruciating, painful death. And he's just washed their feet, knowing that, that he's going to be betrayed. He says this, Love one another as I have loved you. As, as I'm loving you in this way, in this moment right now, love one another in, in this style, in this context, with all the things that are going on around me, still love one another. And this is the beautiful part. He says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. How will they know if we love Jesus? How, how will they know if we follow Him? How will they know that we're His disciples? Listen to me. They won't know that we're His disciples by what we're against. They won't know that we're His disciples by how we vote or what sports team we root for or by what we post on social media or by how right we are. They will know that we belong to Jesus by the way that we love them. By the way that we love them. So why do we not love others the way that Jesus loved us so many times? Why do we not love others in this way? I think the answer could be because we're oftentimes too busy being right. We're just too busy being right. Jesus was concerned with right and wrong, but he was also concerned with pride and humility because when we start with this prideful stance that I'm right, that everybody else is wrong, I'm right, there's a very negative cycle that starts to take place. If our posture is, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I've got truth, 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 uh, I'm always right, everybody else is wrong, then the first thing that we feel is, is morally superior. Because we are right and all those other idiots are wrong. I am morally superior, at least that's how I feel. And when I feel morally superior, it's very easy to become judgmental of those who are not right. Of those who are different, of those who are wrong. And because I feel superior and I'm judgmental, it's easy to become angered and offended. Which unfortunately is where so many people just choose to live today. And that's exactly the opposite of what Jesus was. I mean, think about this. Jesus was the most right person that ever lived. He, he, was, he was not sinful in, in any way. And yet he was the least judgmental person that ever lived. He was the most right. He was, he was perfect. And yet he was the least judgmental. In fact, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the, the beautiful story of, of the woman who was caught in adultery. Let's name the players in this story. I mean, there were, there were the Pharisees there who, who were technically right. I mean, they were right. There, were, there was the, the woman who was completely wrong. And there was no question about this. This woman had been caught in the act of adultery. She was completely wrong. There, there's another man who, who's not mentioned in this story, but for some reason we'll, just leave, we'll leave him out. We don't know why he's not mentioned. But, but the Pharisees, they're right. This woman was wrong. There was no question about who was right and who was wrong. And so Jesus said, it says to the Pharisees, if you've never sinned, you have the right to judge her. You, you can throw the first stone. Stone, go ahead and raise your hand if you've never sinned. And if, you, if that's you, pick up the stone and throw it. And yet, what happened? Jesus began to write some stuff in the sand. Pharisees looked at what he was writing and one by one, they all walked away. And Jesus looks at the woman and he says, Hey, where are those who came to condemn you? She looks up and says, They're not here. 
And so Jesus looks at her and he says, neither do I condemn you then. Go on your way. Here's the truth. He said, go your way and sin no more. It was truth overwhelmed with love. Now I want to ask you, what do you think that woman felt? When, when she was wrong, I mean, and she was clearly wrong, no question about that, and yet she was treated, her, treated this way by Jesus. What do, you, what do you think she felt? I think she probably felt valued. She felt seen. She felt loved in spite of her sin because his heart was different. Look, Jesus is concerned with right and wrong, but he's also concerned with pride and humility. And, and here's the different imposture. If we start with the idea that I'm right and we feel morally superior, we become judgmental and we're easily angered and offended. But, but what if we started out instead out of humility? And if we start with the idea that, hey, I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven, and because I'm forgiven, I, I feel this profound gratitude for, for my forgiver. I, I have this gratitude, and, and, and our gratitude, it would lead us to becoming more accepting of those who might be wrong or maybe even different. And because we're more accepting, then we're overflowing with love. And if we continue with a posture of forgiveness and gratitude and love and grace, and instead of just being right and ineffective, we can be humble and we can be loving. I mean, we can still share the truth, and, and, and please don't hear me in this message saying that truth is not important. That's not what I'm saying at all. It, it is. But we can share truth, and we can do it in an effective way, because we don't change people by judging them. We change people by loving them. A couple of weeks ago, we had some friends call us, and they were upset. Um, they're a member of their family, their, their niece had gathered all of the family together to tell them that she was gay, that she was coming out to them, and it, it upset them, and basically the niece told her, said, if, if you don't accept me and you don't accept uh, my partner, then you're never going to see us again. We're, we're just not going to have anything to do with you. And so our friends called us and they said, what do we do about this? And my response really was just this, I said, do you want to be right, or do you want to have a relationship? Do you want to be right or do you want to have a relationship? Because if you want to be right, you can tell them how wrong you think this is and you can slam the door in their face and you can, and you can just forget about having any shot of a relationship with them ever again. They're going to walk out of your life. That's what they've told you they're going to do. They're going to, they're going to walk out of your life if you want to be right. But if you want to have a relationship, I'm not saying you have to love this. I'm not saying you have to accept this. I'm not saying you have to agree with it. But if you want to have a relationship, you've got to keep that door open. Because if you keep the door open, there's a chance for repentance later down the road. There's a chance for a change of heart down the road. But you're never going to change the heart by slamming the door because you have to be right. Look, I don't, I don't claim to have the answers on a lot of the moral issues that we face in our world today. And honestly, I think if, if I were to give you the answers, I'd probably be wrong on most of them. But I know this. I know there's a lot of people that do a lot of things that I don't agree with. But I know I do a lot of things that I don't agree with too. And I would rather be in a relationship where I have the opportunity to still influence somebody and point them toward Christ. Where, the, where, where Christ's Holy Spirit can do His work. Because His Spirit is a lot more powerful than my spirit, right? I, 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 I can point people to Jesus and I can hopefully influence them and I can say, hey, this is the direction you need to go. But it's Christ's Spirit that changes people, not mine. People aren't changed by my preaching. People are changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus does. 
And so I'd rather have a relationship with those people than just tell people how right I am. And just slam the door in their face and say, yeah, well, you just forget about it. Listen, if you're right about as much as you, as you think, you're probably not as right as you think you are. Because maybe we are right in our ideas. Maybe you are right, but you're probably not right in your approach. And Jesus didn't call us to be right. He called us to tell the truth. He never told us to back away from the truth. He called us to tell the truth, but He never ever told us that they will know us by our rightness. They'll know us by our love. I want us to live in a world where we're the least easily offended people as Christians. Not because we... Um, just gloss over everybody else's sin and we just sweep sin under the rug. No, 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 no. I want us to be the least offendable people because I can tell you there's nobody more offensive to me than me. And my offense to Christ is the same as everybody else's offense to Christ. Nobody is more offensive to Jesus than I am. Nobody is more offensive to Jesus than you are. And I want to live with that perspective. That, that because, of, because of my offense to Jesus, He has forgiven me great. And those who have been forgiven great should forgive great. We should live in, in, a, in an era of grace and mercy. Not saying we ignore truth. But please don't walk away today hearing me say we should just ignore truth. I'm not saying that. We've we, we got to have truth with convictions. I, I absolutely believe that. But we don't have to be right all the time. They'll not know us by how right we are. They'll know us by how we love one another. Let me pray for us.